0: Our Father, we're thankful again, we're thankful for all things and that you've uh, called us into this fellowship with your Son, a heavenly relationship uh, founded on his shed blood and glorious resurrection. So, Father, thank you so much for uh, drawing us, uh, compelling us, really, removing our blindness and bringing us into a life which we could have never even anticipated or known anything of. Father, thank you for uh, giving us new life through our Lord Jesus. Thank you that you've set our feet on solid ground, as it were, and placed our hearts and heads in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for gathering us this morning From our perspective, which is very much often quite worldly, because we do not see the end from the beginning like you do. We only see the current circumstances. And there's much darkness there, much uh, rebellion, Father, against you and your word and your will. We see it around us. It's bold. It's... it's, uh, Offensive, it it's evil, it's truly evil and satanic as well. So Father, we know the uh, enemy is working what he will work to accomplish his will and purpose, but Father, we know that you're working as well to accomplish your will and purpose, and much of that is invisible to us. So Father, thank you for gathering us this morning. Thank you that in truth, we are in the very center of your plan and your work. And uh, (laughs) it's not a worldly work, indeed, it's a spiritual and heavenly work. So, Father, thank you so much for that confidence. Father, there are many, many unspoken praises and thanksgivings this morning that spring up in our hearts often throughout the day and night and thank you for that for reminding us of who we are in christ jesus often and then there are other needs father as well and uh, there are many of them of course as your saints are facing challenges on every side and some of them ongoing health challenges Father, as we open your word, may we be thinking about our current circumstances in our nation. Um, The word of truth that we have set before us today is directly relevant in so many ways. So, Father, I pray that you would comfort our hearts considering the political failures in our nation. And um, the way that it just seems that the enemy is being given free reign in so many aspects, parts of our government system. Father, I just pray that you would set that ship of state in the right direction and uh, provide the leadership that's so needed in every level of government. We thank you for what's happened in some states, like our own state here in New Hampshire uh, certainly moved in the right direction dramatically in this election. But, Father, there are still other uh, areas of the country, many, in fact, where just the opposite seems to be true. So, Father, I, I pray that you'd encourage our president, give him wisdom for these last months um, before the uh, the next administration begins. And, Father, I pray that you would work miracles here to enable him to continue the great work that he has already done. But, Father, we know it's your will that will uh, that will be. And uh, we will not allow the enemy to steal away our joy. Father, please help us in that. And we thank you now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Our title today is A Question. The question is, gain is godliness? (laughs) Gain is godliness? That's a question. It's a big question indeed. There's much uh, that Paul has to say about that in this part of this letter. In fact, the whole letter is very much focused on the mystery of godliness, as we've all come to know. And I'm sure it's beginning to be. Very much uh, written on our hearts as we continue to take in the truth here. Um, The mystery of godliness, uh, the very center of this letter. Uh, Just quickly reviewing from last time, and I will not say much about that because so much is uh, before us today that I would not like to be rushed through. So first of all, um, remember... We noticed last time that Paul puts a focus on the elders, the elders in the assemblies. Timothy was charged with selecting them and also selecting others who would lead in the assemblies. Uh, And that would include the deacons, and it would include even the widows who were, as he calls them, widows indeed. What he says about the elders is that they should rule well and be worthy and what that means he says is that if they labor in the truth of uh, of grace and in doctrine they must labor in the teaching of doctrine Oh, so so important the teaching of doctrine is where we gain our spiritual food uh, as believers so it's only the elders that rule well in that regard who are to be especially honored, especially honored. But all the elders, he says, should be honored, uh, as that's uh, essential to the proper functioning of their office. There's not supposed to be backbiting and confusion and conflict within the churches, and the elders have responsibility to maintain that order. Um, Timothy has a great responsibility, Paul says, and that's to select elders that can rule well, right? And uh, he even uh, underscores the sort of the gravity, the importance of Timothy's ministry by saying that Timothy has heavenly observers overseeing his ministry. <laughs> oh, my heavenly observers. Uh, and, um I consider that to be a major revelation here that Timothy has heavenly observers, meaning, Paul says, elect angels. Elect angels. Hmm. Amazing statement, huh? Uh, I wonder how Timothy took that, that uh, he's being observed uh, continuously. What are they looking for? You know, what are they seeking to know? And i believe uh, we could show from other scriptures but they're seeking to know more about the abundance of grace because it is that that god is working out in the church which is his body right Um, the abundance of grace Uh, the elect angels are learning therefore from us, not only from Timothy and other elders and so forth, but also from you and from me. What are they learning, right? Uh, Paul also mentions uh, Timothy's personal needs. He says it's important uh, for Timothy to consider them. And this idea of sort of burning oneself out and (laughs) finding oneself on the trash heap eventually, right, is not something Paul is recommending to Timothy, Timothy needs to have wisdom regarding his personal affairs and even his health. He even recommends to Timothy, because of intestinal issues, that he drink some wine. Hmm, Drink some wine. Uh, Timothy is exhorted to be very careful about choosing those for positions of authority in the church. Um, Not to do it quickly. Quickly but to allow one's character to be displayed first and then to choose those that have proper uh, testimonies, right? And so he strongly exhorts Timothy to be very careful about that, not to be uh, um, precipitous, not to quickly, uh, without good evidence, uh, select someone for these positions of high authority. And then finally, he says, separation from those that would not submit to these rules and principles is important. Separation is important. I think that's a doctrine that's largely lost in our day, and it only leads to weakness in the assemblies, of course. Um, so that's essentially what we have seen there uh, last time. Today, I'd like to go in much into chapter 6 not quite to the end of it but uh, chapter 6 verses 1 through 12 and the outline is pretty simple first of all the lie that gain is godliness The lie that gain is godliness. That's the first point. Secondly, the truth. That godliness with contentment is great gain. So the lie is that gain is godliness. The truth is that godliness with contentment is great gain. Then the third point is concerning the good fight of faith. The good fight of faith. The high calling is not optional, but is compelling. The high calling is not optional, but is compelling. So first of all, the lie that gain is godliness. Uh, If all we had were those words there, we'd wonder why Timothy would place such a, why Paul, rather, would place such an emphasis on this point. Who could possibly think <laughs> that gain is godliness? One might ask. Well, let's uh, let's begin by reading these verses. Linda, would you read for us, please, uh, chapter six of First Timothy, verses three through five. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil submissions, preserves disputes, disputes of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such, withdraw thyself. Okay, thank you, Linda. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoa. So, uh, if if any man teach otherwise, then what? Okay, well, the, the subject that he had just discussed was the relationship between slaves and their masters, right? And what he did was to recommend that slaves be in proper submission with respect for their masters. And not all masters are believers, it's not implying that they are, but he does say that some are, and a special kind of respect is appropriate there. But respect to those in authority it's a large um, subject in the letter. Remember it's one of the major themes here that God has placed under his authority a certain orderly structure in in the creation and in the affairs of mankind, even when it comes to governments right and um, and a proper respect for authority is essential to uh, our uh, way of thinking, Paul says, and he makes a big point of that in a many in many different ways here in, the, in this letter. Uh, so relationships there in a world where slavery is a part of life is in the very center of this. There were many believers amongst uh, the slaves and also the slave owners. Uh, they also came to know Christ. And so Paul says if anybody is teaching otherwise than that, in other words, if they're encouraging rebellion instead of a proper submission, then uh, they need to be uh, properly uh, informed that that is not the will of God. In fact, it's not even... It's not even a possibility because Paul has been taught directly by Christ. He says here, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. So words were spoken to Paul, of course, by the ascended Christ. And Paul is reflecting those words here in this letter to Timothy. So that's an interesting starting point for this section, isn't it? But the next verses directly, more than any other place in Paul's letters or certainly any other place in the Bible, focus in on godliness. Godliness is the main subject here. There are four verses we're looking at now, all of which mention godliness. Verses 3, 5, 6, and 11. And as we've said over and over, the key word in this letter is godliness. It occurs ten times in Paul's letters, eight times in 1 Timothy, the letter we're in now, and four times right here in this chapter. The words used in the Greek language as the opposite of religion, of the word religion. So godliness is the opposite of religion, (laughs) religion. Uh, you can learn that just by reading, uh, you know, Greek dictionaries or commentaries, but um, we really don't need to go to the dictionaries to learn that because all we need to do is take the word in its context here, right? Paul is contrasting a mere outward expression of subservience to particular religious ideas. He's contrasting that with an inward working of God in the heart, right? um he calls that inward working godliness the issue with godliness is whether it's going to be manifested without hypocrisy okay is it, or is it going to be hidden away and that is a major uh focus here in this particular uh letter right so godliness is about an inward reality Godliness is the privilege of believers under God's empowering to live under the abundance of grace. Okay, so godliness is the privilege of believers living under God's empowering to manifest the abundance of his grace. So Paul strongly exhorting Timothy here to manifest that inward reality, that God-given continual work in his heart to manifest that forth uh, in outward and un- unhypocritical ways. Okay, um, That's not what false teachers were doing. You can be sure of that. They were not only displaying hypocrisy, but they were manifesting something that was far different from the work of God. OK, what they were encouraging was a form of religion, which was contrary to God in every way. Right. So Timothy has quite a task on his hands here to live a life that honors the work of the Lord God and specifically in this area of godliness. OK, so. Um, Many were promoting something quite contrary, the word gain, gain, G-A-I-N, takes center stage here in these verses, and that's what many are in fact promoting in the assembly there that Timothy's responsible for. Personal gain, but religiously endowed in such a way that one might say it's a good thing. So. Uh, what's good will be called evil and what's evil will be called good. Of course, that's the way Satan always works. Okay. So that's, uh, that's our focus here. Um, ungodly compromises are what the world system demands though. Right. I mean, the, the world system that's under Satan's control is always uh, demanding ungodly compromises uh, in the name of what in the name of unity. Right as if that's the highest priority. And uh, here, um, what Timothy is being exhorted to strongly proclaim is that doctrine which is according to godliness. Its alternative, as he says here in verse 5, supposes that gain is godliness. Hmm. Well, let's go into it, look at this more carefully. If the lie is that gain is godliness, what then is the truth, right? Uh, Managing the churches as businesses, by the way, I just have to add here, is surely uh, focused in on that, that gain is godliness. In fact, if you manage a church the way a business is run, Everything is focused on the bottom line, right? Gain is godliness. That's exactly the idea there. Uh, but that's not what Paul is exhorting Timothy here. It's just quite the opposite of that. And what is the opposite of the lie? It's the truth that godliness with contentment is great gain. I find that that little... Uh, contrast well That's not little but the great contrast there the wording reversal of the wording carries a powerful truth doesn't it um, if the lie is that gain is godliness hmm, then the truth is that godliness with contentment is great gain oh okay well that's something to take to heart and to consider the dimensions to that uh, are there not so let's read about that in uh, verses 6 through 10. Gail, would you read that for us, please? But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which draw men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Okay, thank you, Gail. So here we have a a few verses that teach something that on the surface one could easily say, oh, I certainly agree with this, right? That's great. Well, we need to hear that. Um, And yet, when we think about its depth of meaning and how it strikes at the very heart of life, we may have some issues with it. Or we may like to put some boundaries on it. But Paul here doesn't put any boundaries on it. He just states it like it is. What does he say? He, He says, but... So there are those who say gain is godliness. And he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Hmm. That's a very absolute statement. That statement can carry you through the worst of times, can it not? It could carry you through losing everything, uh, in fact. And many believers have down through the years, right? Right. Uh, godliness with contentment is great gain hmm um, now I don't think the false teachers were saying to anyone that gain is godliness it's just that that was in fact what they were promoting you see hypocritically you know with lies, slander various other techniques of the enemy right they weren't out there proclaiming that gain, in other words, personal gain, and it ultimately came down to they themselves. It was hidden, no doubt. You look in the political world today, what do you see? The hidden gain, the money flows and money talks, right? It's all hidden. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about it. They want to promote it as some great good thing, right? And they even are elected to high offices, are they not, right? Even though it is evil that is Reigning supreme in them and through them. Okay? But Paul says simply, Godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, from God's point of view, and according to his plan, though we believers may suffer great loss, nevertheless, the godliness is uh, most important. There's nothing more important. Godliness with contentment. In other words, to be satisfied with what God has and is and will do in and through us, right? Uh, And not to measure our lives the way the world measures them. All right? And what does verses 7 and 8 say about that? Well, he just says directly uh, For we brought nothing into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. Oh, he must have been thinking about Job, right? You know, remember Job came into this world with nothing, and that's how he's going to leave. <laughs> uh naked came I into this world, Job says, and he'll go out in the same way, right? Um Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. I remember Luther used to write about this a lot and speak about this subject. He knew much about it. But Paul goes on. He says, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. That's a lot less than most of us possess, right? We don't know what the future will bring. But he says, having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. The opposite course in life is to consider gain to be godliness. In other words, somehow, even if we have become fully uh, aligned with the world and its ways, we can still be godly. In other words, uh, we we don't need purity of thought or life, not really. But we need what the world offers. That's the other alternative, right? He says in verses 9 and 10, they that will be rich. In other words, those that seek riches, he says, they fall into a realm where they're easily, easily captured and led astray. He says, they fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. And the end result of it is really destruction, he says, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Um, Wow. Well, Paul expects Timothy, and as we read this, we're expected to just say amen to this. You know, in other words, our hope and trust is in him and not in the things in this world now that's not saying that we shouldn't be thankful for what he's blessed us with this great abundance that many of us are enjoying right uh, certainly we should thank him for that absolutely but enjoy it as a gift that may not continue it may be removed in due time and so we do not know the course of the future what we do know is that the Lord God is administering our affairs, right? Not just ours individually and personally, but the affairs of our nation as well, right? Um, Though the enemy is raging, God is still working, right? He's still working his will and purpose out. And uh, our thinking should align itself with his, right? So there's no health and wealth gospel here. Uh, Paul never taught that. That kind of thinking is anathema with the Lord God. Paul says explicitly that gain is not godliness and that rather contentment with godliness is great gain. What a powerful statement. I just find it so encouraging, really. To know where our real blessings are. And they are enduring and eternal. And they can never be taken away, right? Notice he mentions money a couple of times. Um, (laughs) The the statement about money there in uh, verse 10 is quite an interesting one. Uh, Many commentators, of course, have written about it. He says, the love of money is the root of all evil. He doesn't say money is. He doesn't say money is evil. He doesn't say that money is the root of all evil either. He says the love of it is the root of all evil. And then he says that many dedicated their lives to it. They coveted it, right? And he says they turned away from the faith. And more than that, they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Because there's no satisfaction that comes from focusing one's life on money and what it can provide. There's no satisfaction. There's never enough, certainly. Our hearts, our evil natures will always seek more than what we have, right? So what a statement this is. I think the depths of this are going far. Uh, And we need to consider it so carefully. Now, what I said all along is that the real focus here is on godliness, right? So godliness with contentment is great gain. So why is the focus here so much on godliness? Well, let's reread that. Patty, can you reread that for us? from 1st Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. oh my <clears throat> okay um, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness okay and no one would deny that this is all about the son of god and what he has accomplished in coming into this world right nobody would ever deny it that that's what godliness is all about but what is it about that that is a mystery one might ask um and uh Paul uses the word mystery to refer to what was a secret, but is now being revealed. And it generally has to do with what God is doing today in the dispensation of the grace of God. So, yes, Christ came into this world and uh, accomplished his redemptive work. Right. And this refers to various aspects of that. Finally, he was caught up into heaven's glory but notice it puts an emphasis on angels and interesting right um so what is this all about and i believe that what paul is saying there when he uses the word mystery in relationship to the word godliness and the concept of that he's talking about how god in a way that had never been revealed before has begun to work in man okay and this is previously not a reality but it is a reality now remember previously there was a temple and god had dwelt in that temple there'd been a manifestation of the lord god there it was very important for the nation of israel and uh, that will again be reestablished in various ways according to prophecy right for israel uh, and for the nations, for that matter, right in the the, the millennial kingdom, but uh, today there is no other temple except our hearts. There is no other temple and the Lord God dwells in our hearts and there are so many things that that has changed right from the previous rule of God under law, right under grace, Many things are entirely different. So, for example, we have both the, the father and the son, actually, also the, as we all well know, the Holy Spirit, indwelling us, and indwelling us permanently. Okay, what a change from the past. So the temple of God is in us. Okay, that's pretty essential to know, I would say, right? Um, we're all members of a heavenly organism. Christ is the head. We're the body. We're the members, right? Um, the body of Christ, something that was never the case before. And now it is right because of what God is doing today under this dispensation of grace. Then there's a whole issue, issue of law versus grace, right? Um, we're not in bondage to the law. We have liberty from the law. Instead of the law's demands, there's fruit being born from within our spirits. Okay, So liberty and not bondage from the law. This is all part of what it means to say that God is working under grace today. As a result, we have joy and peace in the spirit. Those are ours to cling to no matter what. Uh, So we should never let the enemy steal away our joy, even if those things we've grown so dependent on in our lives here. Prosperity is certainly abounding for many, right? At least in certain ways, abounding compared to what other believers have experienced down through the centuries, right? Uh, We should never allow the enemy to steal away our joy, even if these conveniences are no longer ours, right? Because we're not citizens of this world, but citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And finally, his grace is always sufficient. His grace is always sufficient. So instead of worldly gain, even in a seemingly religious sense, Worldly gain is not gain with the Lord. That's what Paul is saying here. It is a loss. In other words, worldly gain is indeed a loss. Only what's based on Christ will last, right? So we are the saints of God. We are not religious proselytes. And this is a profound teaching, really. I mean, now, you can only imagine the false teachers were teaching exactly the opposite, okay? And uh Timothy was sent forth uh, to be uh, their enemy indeed, and to exalt and and uh, and put high always uh, the glorious work of God under grace. So godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, I think we should get the picture by now. It's the very center of Paul's uh, exhortation to Timothy, isn't it? Now, if the others are promoting gain as godliness, and Timothy is uh, exalting the work of the Lord under grace, and instead he's saying godliness with contentment is great gain, there's going to be a considerable conflict between them and this conflict is going to require what i've called here the good fight of faith the good fight of faith and specifically the high calling is not optional but compelling okay so paul remember paul's writing to timothy he's not writing directly to you and and me he's writing uh, to timothy Right, And Timothy is supposed to manage the affairs of the church and to do it well, uh, exemplifying godliness always right the work of God in his spirit uh, and how transforming that is, because that's at the very heart of the teaching, the very heart of the doctrine that Timothy is exhorted to proclaim always right um. But the enemy is teaching just the opposite. So it is a battleground, Paul is saying to Timothy, that you, Timothy, are in the middle of. You are in the middle of a battle. Don't expect that things are going to change. This is the way it is. Let's read about that. Two verses, verses 11 and 12 of First Timothy 6. Anne, Anne, can you read verses 11 and 12 for us, please? Yes. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Okay, thank you, Anne. Okay, so so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you're in a war. OK, uh, you're living now uh, without a choice. I'm setting you forth. God sent you forth here into this role, into this ministry. Uh, you are on the battleground. All right. And it's not merely a matter of flesh and blood, right? It's a, a heavenly battle as well. And you remember in Ephesians 6, uh, where we'll read in just a moment, um Paul has written to uh, the Ephesians about this, right? So here, though, he says, thou, O man of God. Oh, my. O man of God. Flee all of those things and seek instead. Follow after. That means to seek without failing. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, Fight the good fight of faith. How many times has he mentioned the fight here, right? Hmm. Well, three right there, right? Lay hold on eternal life. Okay, that means it's such a central uh, force within you that you never turn aside, right? And he says you're called into this. You have no choice. The calling is... Has been given. You have been in. <clears throat> you haven't enlisted and volunteered. You've been drafted, Timothy. You have no choice, right? And he says you have professed a good profession of this. Now, don't be timid. Don't turn aside. Engage yourself in battle. Okay. So, uh, this is uh, the situation here for Timothy. Now, this matter of fighting a f- fight of faith. Interesting wording, right? Um, So many today in the churches have turned away from that, right? And said they're teaching a different gospel. In fact, they're teaching what the false teachers were teaching there, I think, in Ephesus, that Timothy was called to wage warfare against. But Lydia, I'd like you to read uh, from Ephesians chapter 6, where we see that that great uh, statement about what kind of warfare it is that we're really to be engaged in. Lydia, can you read uh, verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 6, please? For For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the high places. Oh, thank you, Lydia. Very good, very good. Oh, but the 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 statement is a heavy one indeed, is it not? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. I mean, you're going to be led to think every day that it is flesh and blood that you're warring against, right? Uh, look at our nation. What what uh, what kind of warfare is going on there? Is it flesh and blood? Well, he says, no, not really, not really. It's Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual witnesses on high, right? These are heavenly, evil, heavenly, spiritual forces. They're not spiritual in a good sense, but in an evil sense. They are spirits, okay? Angels, in fact, and demons, right? That are affecting the affairs on this earth, okay? So... Uh Paul exhorts Timothy to fight this faith, realizing the nature of the warfare that's uh, involved. And uh, so that brings us, I think, uh, to the end here, where I'd like to finish up today. And I would like, uh, Sarah, if you'd read for us there. It's out of Paul's second letter. To Timothy, it's right at the very end of his life. Uh, Paul's uh, comment: This is really his last will and testament. I do believe, <laughs> at least his last testament. Sarah, would you please read that for us about uh, Paul's uh, exhortation to Timothy and how he himself has been the example that that, that Timothy so much needs. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Thank you, Sarah. I think that's the greatest statement of Paul's life, summarizing it all. It's Paul's last testament I have fought a good fight I have finished my course I have kept the faith henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day and not to me only but also to all them that love his appearing I hope that's our testimony as well. Dare we say to another, I have fought a good faith. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Well, we don't think we're quite as close to the end, (laughs) maybe as Paul believed he was at that point. He knew he was right near his martyrdom, right? But uh, nevertheless, if we love his appearing, he says here, In other words, you're listening for the shout and the call and the voice to call you into heaven's glory, right? If you love his appearing, then this promise is true for you and me as well. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Well, Where does that leave us? Is it gain is is godliness, really? Or is it rather godliness with contentment is great gain? Well, it's the latter, isn't it? Satan will seek to twist and turn true godliness upside down. But we will not allow him to do it in our lives, I trust. But rather, we will honor the mystery of godliness, for it is at work in us today. And praise the Lord for the abundance of his grace. Praise the Lord for that. Well, there's so much said before us here. As we finish up this letter, I hope to finish it in the next couple of weeks. And um, go on to Second Timothy but uh so much to take to heart uh you know gain is not godliness uh, but godliness with contentment is is great great gain let's uh, let's pray father god uh yes indeed please write these truths on our hearts um, that we might not sense great loss uh as we watch uh the affairs around us because those those things are not lost in comparison with the great, great gain that we have through your precious uh, work within us. And may our testimonies reflect that. May our testimonies be bold for you. May many see your work in us as we reflect your light in the darkness around us. and. Uh, May we listen carefully for that call into heaven's glory, loving, loving the appearing of our precious Lord Jesus. We know the next thing on our prophetic horizon is that great, great event. So, Father, as long as we're here, as long as you leave us here uh, in this world, I pray that we would be bold for you. And may our lives be a light, and may our life be manifestly that of our Lord Jesus. In Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen.